What is up, everyone, and welcome into episode 86 of the Modern Drummer Podcast with Mike and Mike. My name is Mike Johnston, and my co-host will be joining us shortly is Mr. Mike Dawson, Managing Editor of Modern Drummer Magazine. After Mike and I get all caught up, we will talk about education, learning, and using polyrhythms. Not an easy thing to do. Our featured artist this time is Dave Matthews Band, Carter Beaufort. In our gear review section, Mike will be checking out some Sabian artists and elite symbols. We'll get to a bunch of your listener questions, and as always, we'll give you our picks of the week. So let's get started. <laughs> We are on fire today, man. Yeah. Woo! Got that out of the way. Yep. I mean, I'm, I'm hopefully the CIA wasn't listening to that one. <laughs> <laughs> Jeez. We went in. Oh, man. You yeah. know what? I think, like, uh, for the 100th episode, one of the prizes should be that you get to be on Skype with us the 10 minutes before mm. this actually starts. <laughs> no. 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 <laughs> We'd be in jail. Oh, well, that's everyone. <laughs> Uh, how are you, buddy? I am tired. I went to see uh, my first professional opera last night. <clears throat> wow! Like I, I played in in college. I played operas and stuff, or like okay, operettas, not a full opera. But I didn't realize that operas are like three and a half, four hours long. Uh, the only thing that I know about them <laughs> is they have an intermission, so they must be pretty dang long. Uh, two intermissions. Two. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Two intermissions and a pause. <laughs> a pause? Yeah, between wow. the third and fourth act, there's like a like a five minute don't leave your seats yeah. with the lights kinda half come up intermission. Oh but my then there are two like full on I think they were like twenty or thirty minute intermissions. It was a it was a long night. Wow. Started at seven thirty so and it over it was over at eleven twenty. Okay, so it's it's a night. It's a night at the opera. Like indeed, this is what we're doing tonight. And, and there's no like going and sneaking in late because if you don't come, they don't let you in except for an intermission. Wow. Or, okay. So you can't just come and check out half the show, or you can't leave and come back and just kind of sneak into your seats. It's a whole different etiquette. I mean, I'm I'm used to the grimy rock clubs where you know come and go as you please and sure you know talk and and, and, check sh- your, and show your uh, invisible stamp to the bouncer yeah and, and check you know instagram throughout the show but man don't don't you dare have a cell phone out at an opera oh i bet <laughs> I, I can't even imagine the flack you would get from the elitist <laughs> so uh without sounding kind of rude why did you go i remember a couple of weeks ago i my pick of the week was rob knopper's um percussion hacker website and i talked yep. about he had one about um Essentially, putting yourself in uncomfortable situations oh, when you're, yeah, when you're yeah, practicing. Yeah. I totally remember that guy. Yeah, yeah. So he's, he's one of the. He's a full time percussionist with the Metropolitan Opera in New York. So he um, he just reached out and, and wanted to say thanks for talking about his website on the show. And then I was like, well, let's you know, let me come check out what you're doing and, and hang out. So wow. I went to see. He was he was playing the symbol part for um, Aida the opera. So I went last night and, and saw the show, and, and he killed it. I mean, hand cymbals, it's funny because it's kind of like you joke about the, the dumb kid in the back playing cymbals in band class, but to really play hand cymbals correctly. No, on that level? On that oh level? Oh, my goodness. Like, every one of his crashes were just perfect. It's like There's man. nothing back there that can be taken for granted at that level. No. Every note is important. and he, I mean, it would be like stretches of... of you know, maybe thirty bars of music where he'd play, and then twenty minutes where he didn't. He would actually just leave, go, and I and come to find out afterwards. I hope I'm not spoiling anything, uh, Rob, getting you in trouble. But he, he, it was really cool. He's like, yeah, I have the show timed, so I have a stopwatch, so I know after this scene, I start my stopwatch, and I've got fifteen minutes. So he goes down to the rehearsal room and practices in wow. between the scenes. So he 
he says he gets about two hours of practice time in during the show. That's which incredible. Is pretty awesome. Man, I'd Talk be about so optimizing I mean, your time. Think about the first time that you decide I'm going to do this. Right, I'm gonna, I'm gonna play a little hooky, and <laughs> man, just to like walk out and you're like, huh, it worked, all right, <laughs> or just to come out and be like, uh, we are like 75 bars past where I thought we should be right now, uh, yeah, uh, and well, everyone's I mean, like, well, it's not going to change. Crazy. It's not going right, to change. Of course, I mean, the shows are pretty locked in. He said the only thing that'd be different if it's a different conductor, he he'll come back a few minutes early just in case something is faster or whatever. But sure. Yeah. I just thought it was cool that he's not That's just. Amazing. I mean, it's a full time gig. He's got a salary. It's it's his job. Mm-hmm. But instead of just you know sitting in the back reading books or whatever, he's going down it's and practicing. shedding like That's shedding so hard. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. So it was really well, cool. I, not to mention, I mean, obviously in this case he was playing handsimals, but if he is playing. Uh, you know, snare drum or something. He's warm when he comes yeah. back out on stage. Exactly. Like, yeah. Sweating. Yeah. I mean, I, I was, it was giving me flashbacks of the time I was in, in the Allstate Orchestra and I played cymbals and I might have had three notes in the entire symphony and one of them I just air pocketed. It was like the most No. If you haven't played hand cymbals, you don't know what he's talking about, but there is a way to hit them together where they won't make any sound whatsoever. Yeah, it's just silent. So you guys have all, everyone's done it on their hi-hat foot before, where that's why you loosen the clutch a little bit. Yeah, that's the worst. Yeah, yeah, just and like, <gasps> and the conductor just gave me that look like, you are the dumbest human being I've ever seen in my life. It's actually, it's actually really hard to do that, because any, any you know, difference in your hands, and they hit at slightly different times, and they make the sound they're supposed to make. Yeah. But yeah <laughs> that's so awesome dude oh, but anyway awesome. you know a special thanks to rob he's a really talented young guy kind of he's kind of doing what no one else is doing and 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 sharing all the classical percussion secrets that that at, by and large that world is pretty guarded with all that stuff yeah. so i'm i use they've asked me like you know anyone else that's doing this online thing like i'm doing I'm like i think you're the first one dude like keep going it's really yeah, I mean, great. and it's probably an age thing as well. I mean, you came up in a generation that was sharing information, so it's it's not it's not like somebody that's sixty five has our technology now and says, you know what, I'm going to go back against everything I've grown up to know and join. It's like to him, it's like, well, of course you share. That's what you do. Yeah, you know exactly. I want people to see behind the curtain, like because I need something for Instagram later tonight. So yeah, that's, here we that's go. part of what we talked about. It's like I can you can give everyone all your secrets, but no one is ever going to be able to play it like you. And you got and the no. reason he got that gig is because he can play that stuff better than everyone else who auditioned. So right. he can tell sure. you every technique and every method and every system that he used. But chances are you're not going to put in the time and the effort and the, and the right. focus that he did. So I, I completely support that idea. Share it all. Give yeah. us all an even playing field. And there's no more excuses. It's not like no, you, you don't know how to play the cymbals for the Met Orchestra because no one showed you. No, you just didn't practice it enough to not get those air pockets. I mean, do you <laughs> think like it's a coincidence that even though we have JoJo Mayer's foot and hand DVDs, yeah. nobody is JoJo Mayer? It's like, no, <laughs> no one's going to do it. It's like, yeah. And I mean, the, the best is the people that tell me, like, yeah, I got JoJo Mayer's... Uh, Whatever it's called, uh, hands secret for secret weapons. For secret the weapons. Drum. Yeah, yeah. I got the one for the hands, and uh, you know, so I've been working on that. I'm like, which part are you working on? Well, I, I, no, I watched it, and then it's like, <laughs> yeah. 
I just watched I'm the sorry. street beats. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Exactly. I kept uh, actually all those solos he was doing in the studio. I love those little solo clips, yeah, man. On amazing. the first DVD, yeah, I watch that all the time. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, like you said, you have to put in the time. It always comes down to time. I'm putting in the time right now, just so that when I cross the uh, ocean next week, next Monday. Uh, everything. There's no more excuses. I put in the time, you know. So, yeah. So who's um, who's performing alongside you, and what is it? Is it a festival? What is the situation? Okay. So there's two things going on. This is at uh, we're speaking of Music Mesa 2017. This is Europe's version of the Nam Show. So and but the the big difference is that this is open to the public all four days. So okay. this is Sunday at Nam all four days. Pure chaos. Yeah. Um. So there, uh, it's myself, Anna Canillis, Chris Coleman, Yost Nickel, Wolfgang Hoffner, and Michael Schnack, and then another female artist that I can't remember the name of, just, and honestly, because I've just um, never seen her play yet. Uh, I know if I look up Udo's page, he just posted about it. Uh, Udo Hoybeck. Um, okay, and then Veronica Lukasova. Okay, where's she from? Do you know? I, I don't know. Um, there's a lot of shapes over the um, some of the letters in her name. So okay, <laughs> maybe Poland or <laughs> I'm not sure. To be honest, I have no idea. Oh, you um, know what? I never heard any feedback on the metric issue we had last week. Like oh, the what is a you know how do you what is a typical drumstick size in mm, metric? Yeah, 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 yeah. I don't remember either. Yeah, um, we really embarrassed ourselves. <laughs> yeah, well, that's that's the norm for this podcast. Um, so yeah, so what's happening at this thing is some of the artists are playing in what they're calling like a fish tank. So it's literally like a glass booth, and you just perform. That's it. No interaction with the audience, and the audience just kind of walks by and during the trade show. So it's during like the trade people show, people are just walking by, grabbing tchotchkes, and you're playing a drum solo, and you're ripping. Yeah. yeah. So I've, I opted out of that because that does not sound like fun at all. But I think for somebody like Chris Coleman that really can play for 45 minutes straight yeah. or Annika who probably has, you know, I, I know they have a PA, so she's probably going to be playing to tracks and stuff. It's perfect. Uh, so myself, Yost, and Annika are going to be in what they're calling their drum camp. So that's uh, a one-hour master class. And that – Where is that taking place? It says Hall 11, Booth C60. So it's still in a mist that just people walking around. But no, I think it is a, like an actual. I don't know. I, I, I've never been to Mesa, so I know nothing about it. <laughs> I, I'm literally going in. Okay, so my mental preparation for this is every time I've sat down at my kit to either perform a solo or to play Freedom Land. That's, I think that's the only, only track I'm going to play. Um, every time I've sat down, I've actually visualized something totally different. So I visualized... I'll go through and I'll put uh, PASIC in my head, that uh-huh. big red room and the huge crowd. That's one possibility. I've put um, the Aquarian booth at NAM right across from your guys' old booth yep. in my head. I'm just playing and people are walking by and I've got like one one of those Madonna mics on, those headset <laughs> yeah. mics. And I'm like, you know, hey guys. So I keep envisioning all these different things and, and visualizing the di- these different things so that whatever the outcome is, I've already experienced it in my mind and I should be fine. Yeah. Um, so so yeah, I look so, forward to the report. So we have to let everyone know that we are pre-recording two episodes. So while you're at Mesa, we won't have a show that would be like up to date with with your experience. You got to fill right. us in the week after Mesa. That is that is true, but yeah. uh, but you will not miss an episode, and that's 
clearly from your email responses, that's all that matters. Yeah. <laughs> Man, I was not ready for this podcast to become as important to certain people as it has been. Yeah, well, um, I mean, you can't mess up with people's weekly programming. No. We've been pretty good. I mean, I I definitely we screwed up maybe three times out of eighty six episodes. That one, that one where I lost it, or and then I lost the actual disc drive and had to have like Jimmy Keegan try to get it out of the rental car's bowels. Man, that was rough. I was like, I'm not telling Dawson. (laughs) We have to record it for a fourth time. All right, well, let's get into some good stuff, everybody. So it is time to talk about education, and this is. Uh, I wouldn't say a controversial subject, but it's definitely something that as an educator, it's not an easy thing to talk about with students, which is learning and using polyrhythms. And now, obviously, I have a whole group of students over the years that were into either dream theater or what Thomas Lang was doing or more modern music. And, and but and they had an actual use for polyrhythms. Right. The thing is, I teach it to everybody. So. Mm-hmm. My students that want to know how to play a John Mayer tune are asking me, why do I have to learn this? And do I have to learn this? Um, I was lucky enough to study for about five years straight with kind of who I consider to be the the main polyrhythm guy only because he wrote the American books that we have based on polyrhythms. Um, his name's Peter Magadini, and he wrote The Musician's Guide to Polyrhythms, which was a great somewhat mathematical book for musicians, not for drummers. It was just like, here's the math behind the polyrhythms. So here's how the story goes as far as how did polyrhythms and that term get to America. And this is, I'm relaying this from what I know from my time with Pete. So Pete was at, um, just kind of doing the hippie thing every once in a while at at Berkeley, Berkeley, California. Um, he's, he's Mm. a Canadian guy, but he was at Berkeley, California. And that's when, the Beatles were starting to involve Ravi Shankar and everything. And all of a sudden, the Indian world was starting to mix with the pop culture. So Pete's watching this concert uh, you know, out on the lawn in Berkeley. And he's hearing one of the drummers playing. And one of the other drummers is in a completely different time frame. <laughs> and they keep matching up every once in a while. And Pete's brain just started thinking like, okay, you two are nailing the one and then four bars later you nail the one again but everything in between you are not even close to each other and he starts visualizing what it'd be like to turn on a metronome at 60 bpm at the exact same time turning on another metronome at 90 bpm and Mm. then you would decide okay well the 90 bpm will have more beats in it than the 60 bpm but at some point they will match up and you will count the number of beats and then you will name it a six over four polyrhythm or a three over two polyrhythm so and then he spoke to these musicians and they started telling him, yeah, that's what we're doing. We're in a, I'm in a faster rate of speed than he is. And it's not a subdivision. I'm in actually a faster tempo, um, on tabla than he is on sitar mm. and we, you know, or on clay pot. And, but it's, it's not just random. It's not 62 BPM and 31.9. It's, it's mathematically perfect. So right. once you have any pulse, if I give you this, then in that, I can have a fighting pulse against that at a different rate of speed. Now, if I stop my left hand, actually, I'll give you two tones for this. If I stop my left hand, one, two, three, one, two, three. Now, if I stop my right hand, one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four. So when we put them together, one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, one, two, three, one, two, three. That's a polyrhythm. So we have two rates of speed going on at the same time. So 
when did you figure all this out? Because I, I was four. <laughs> uh, you know, I, hmm, that's a good question. I mean, there definitely were articles in Peter's Magadini's articles in Modern Drummer over the years that I had, I had saw and struggled through and was too young to even wrap my head around it. But I practiced sure. them, and eventually my hands kind of fell into place. Uh, that So that would have been like middle school. Um, and then that led me to getting a book called Polysymbol Time, mm-hmm. which is kind of adapting Magadini's ideas to more of a jazz context with the ride symbol plan and six over four and things like that. Yep. That would have been high school. But, it, you know, it was really what it was was I think I was a sophomore in high school and the marching band was having drum major auditions. And one of the one of the tests was you had to be able to conduct in three and two at the same time. Okay. So I remember the whole drum line was like, all right, we got to, we have to figure that out because that's a drumming right. thing. So we were all you know waving our arms and trying to figure out the three over yeah. two. So that was it's the first just a cool time. Test, I, yeah, yeah, and you could, that for me was I could really feel the difference because you had to snap the baton in time. Right. So that's when I really learned like, oh, there's three over two, and it's falling right in between the second and third notes of the triplet right. to get the two, and that's that kind of thrust me down the path of. It's not just make a three and a two fit together, but there is a math to it. You can actually find the exact spot where that that rub should happen. Right. So that was that would have been high school. It wasn't until I got to college that my uh, my teacher there gave me the the formula for how to figure out any polyrhythm um, and and know exactly how to play it, not just guess. Right. Um, so that was college, and I spent a lot of time. But it was the same thing. I wasn't. I had no interest in playing polyrhythms deliberately but for me it was yeah. an ear training thing so if i could if i could be playing in four and here in three it opened up my phrasing so i could just kind of i could i could play something that's in three without being like an obvious polyrhythm right. i could i could accent those those elements and that still pops up like when i'm still yeah when, i mean when that's I'm jamming, music. it's like i just hear i can just hear things now that it's a whole new realm where i don't have to just play sixteenth notes of four four I can play a five over that or, you know, something that's going to just create more tension in the music. And I might not even know what it is anymore, but I know it's one of those polyrhythms that I've practiced to death, like a, like a scientist. And for, for years I was, you know, writing out all the notes and figuring out exactly and putting on the metronome. And I did all of that. So then now I can just hear it and not even know like, Oh, that was a five. Oh, well, I didn't know that, but that's what I played. Yeah. That's, that's our goal. I think is to get it to be, mixed into our drumming language and our drumming vernacular so that as we're playing it, it's just coming out naturally I, I, for me yeah. i think it wasn't pete that part or piqued my interest pete was the one that said you have to do that he was the teacher guy right but it's like okay well there has to be something cool to make me want to do this and i think uh vaseline by stone temple pilots was the first time yeah. i couldn't the guitar i part. couldn't figure out yeah it was bo-doon, do-doon, 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 do-doon. and it just kept going and i was like where the hell's the one <laughs> you know and That's i'm going funny. one e and a two e and a three e and four e and a one e and a two e and a three e and a four you know and i was like holy hell um and then what was cool was once i once i I just kind of figured, okay, that's some weird thing, and I figured out the math behind it, but I didn't really understand the, the polyrhythmic nature of guitar versus drums. Then I studied with Pete. Then I came back, and I realized that guitar part, I could be there too. do 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 And I could, like, all of a sudden start shuffling 
that guitar part. Yeah. And then jump back into my regular time. So and now screw I'm taking everybody up. I told, well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is in my garage by yeah. myself. But all of a sudden I'm thinking, wow. So now polyrhythms have opened the door for metric modulation. Mm-hmm. I'm taking the polyrhythmic pulse and making that my new quarter note and making a shuffle out of that feel. So to me, it really opened up a lot of things. But I will tell you this. For everybody that is in their minds, if you're saying, like, well, I'm just a pocket drummer or I just want to play groove, the biggest lesson or the biggest benefit I ever got from polyrhythms, it's not playing them. I, I rarely play them. It's that when they happen to me from another musician, I don't freak out. Yeah. I know what's happening. It. Yeah. When they start hitting every third note, you know, a lot, a lot of bass parts are one E, and a two E, and a three E, and a boom, doom, doom, doom. And right. I can also keep my hands going and join in with my bass drum if I want to support them. Yeah. I know when the phrase will end and when, when they'll have to round off to finish off a four-bar phrase so I can just join them on the last measure. Uh, I really think that knowledge of polyrhythms made me a much better musician. It's not... You know, I, I, when I look back on like every drum solo I've ever performed at a festival or in a clinic, it's really rare that I jump into polyrhythm land. Yeah. It's not that at all. It's mo- it's more that maybe my hands are playing this very simple four four thing, and then maybe my kick is polyrhythmic against that. Right. Or my left hand is playing this polyrhythmic cross stick pattern. Yeah, you um, can imply polyrhythms without being obvious, like my hand is playing in five and my foot is playing at four. Right, You right. can apply I, it with accents and things. And obviously, I think it's just, it goes unsaid, but it it's known that you could obviously just be very obvious with it and kind of go the Marco Miniman, mm-hmm. uh, Thomas Lang uh, route, Virgil Donati route, where it's like, oh my gosh, that's crazy hard. But... I think the problem is that people think that that's what polyrhythms, that's what it is. And it's yeah. not, it, it can be so much more subtle than that. Some of my yeah. favorite music of all time that's pop related is polyrhythmic in nature. A lot of times it's even vocal phrasing. I mean, that's, yeah. that was like the hip hop thing forever was every third 16th note was their accent. Yeah. And it's like, okay, well, if you get used to one E and a two E and a three E and a four E and a one E and a two E and a three, now, I've, now I'm in a whole new tempo, you know? All right. Now, the hard thing is how to get back. Yeah, so I'll give you guys like a, a quick, it's not fully mathematically flawless, but if you take every fourth, eighth note triplet, one and a two and a three and a four and a one and a two and a three, a four. Now we're back to where we started. Uh. So I use every third, sixteenth note to jump me forward in time and every fourth, eighth note triplet to jump me back in time. Yeah, well, that's so. cool. So should go. we hit him with the formula for how to figure out any polyrhythm you want? I was going to say, you dropped a pretty big <laughs> tease. So my teacher gave me the secret to the world. Anyways, Mike, tell me about your experience. Like, uh, do you want to fill him in on that one? Yeah, of I mean, course. It's not revolutionary. It, it's just simple math. So if you, it, let's say we want to figure out how three and two fit together. Okay. First thing you have to do is you have to multiply those two numbers together to get you your total number of of subdivisions that have to go by in order for it to cycle back. Yes. So six. So three times two is six. If you group them as two groups of three, so triplets, okay. uh, you accent every third note and then every second note. So that gives you three against two. If you do One the opposite okay. and you group them in twos, and accent every second note and every third note, that is your two against three. There you go. <clears throat> so you can do that with anything. You five over four, you've got to do 28th notes or 20 notes, whichever subdivision you want to use. Right. 
you can group them in fives and then accent every fifth note and every fourth note. And that'll give you five over the four. Or you group them in fours, accent every five notes and every four notes, and that gives you five over your four. Four over four over your five, sorry. You can do that with anything. You could do seven against five. (laughs) There's no way that anyone that's driving right now is like, I got it. I think even though it's like that's one of those things where it's so simple that it has to be explained to you like nine times. Yeah. But somewhere in there, there's one day where you're like, oh, I totally get it. Like, that's so simple. It's like, yeah, it's always been there. So it it really is simple math. So Um, to repeat it. So if you want to any polyrhythm you want to figure out, multiply the two numbers together and write that many eighth notes or 16th notes on a page with no no beams to connect them. Just just single notes. <clears throat> and then you group those notes by each of those those numbers by accenting. Right. So if you're doing five over four, you put an accent every fifth note and then an accent every fourth note. And then the accents are what give you your polyrhythm. But the subdivision is there so you can figure out exactly where those those notes land. It needs to be said that like, if you were doing this on a drum machine, you would do exactly what Mike said. And then everything that's not accented, you would drop out. And those remaining accents, that becomes the polyrhythm. Exactly. That is the pulse. Um, and then from there, see, the, the trick for, for me with, with Pete was we would pick a polyrhythm. Let's say it's three over four. I had to learn whatever we were working on. I had to learn it in the three and in the four right. while playing. So mm-hmm. I learned my entire the rhythmic scale. On the on the spot. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and that was tough. So if I'm going one, a two, and three, eighth notes in the three, two, three, one, two, eighth notes would be one and two and three and one and two and three and one and, and then in the four, two, three, four, one and two and three and four and one and two and three and four. And. That's so I tough. Did, yeah, it sucked. <laughs> it sucked. And he's like, all right, five stroke rolls. I'm like, I don't want to. Um, That's an element point. of muscle memory in, involved in that too, which I think is important because you, you have to put one side of that on autopilot. Yes, I mean, well, yeah, one think one has to become the pulse. Yeah, um, and what I what I realized, and he, what Peter drilled into me was in three over four. I always lived in the three. I always lived in the left foot. He's uh-huh. like your four is never becoming the pulse. You're never living in that. I need you to be able to play in that as well. Um, and then he was the guy, though, because he's a jazz drummer. Um, when he started taking that ride cymbal pattern and putting it in, uh, you know, because yeah. he'd be going ding, 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 and I'm just like, oh man, I feel like I, I feel like the Starship Enterprise just came out of warp drive. And everything's like, <laughs> That's two. I mean, with Harry Potter and that, I just should give up now. So, anyways, uh, so anyways, guys, just know Starship that learning your polyrhythms, man, jeez oh, Louise, it's terrible. <laughs> you couldn't have said like a Star Wars reference. You had to I'm go Star fine. Trek. It's the X-wing fighter coming out of warp drive. Is that better? Hi- actually, I think they call it hyperdrive. Hyperdrive. Because, yeah, yeah. Because Star Wars had zero scientific advisors on it. <laughs> yeah, we made it in seven parsecs. It's like, well, it's a distance, not a speed but whatever it doesn't matter, <laughs> it doesn't um, matter. It, it's, it's fine millennium falcon so <laughs> can you just cut this whole part out <laughs> all right that's learning your polyrhythms brought to you by starship enterprise <laughs> our featured artist this time is none other than mr carter beaufort carter beaufort <laughs> honestly took the world by storm when the dave matthews band came on the scene i actually was 
I discovered Carter in person before on the radio or before MTV. I was at a Blues Traveler concert, and the opening band was none other than the Dave Matthews Band. Oh, wow. That's cool. I left after the Dave Matthews Band, before the band I went to see, Blues Traveler, and I went straight to Tower Records to see if I could buy their album. Um, I'd never been blown away by a band like seeing the Dave Matthews Band for the first time. Now, for those of you that have grown up with the Dave Matthews Band, it probably sounds like no big deal. I'm telling you, (laughs) I had Nirvana to compare it to at the time. I had nothing like this. I I didn't get to see Dennis Chambers on drums with P-Funk. I never got to see that stuff. So to see this guy just playing the coolest stuff ever and this band just ripping – and I mean, the, God, the drumming is so clean. Still, yeah. I'll, I'll listen to Satellite, and I'm like, who plays six that clean, but and, that and busy? Effortless. I mean, he's so effortless. Dude, it's unreal. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, and Carter is this beautiful <clears throat> amalgamation of, he's got some Will Kennedy left-hand lead stuff going on. He's got some Dennis Chambers pocket. He's got, I mean, he can be Billy Josh Cobham, Free's rock. He could be anything. White. Yeah. He's just fantastic. So, um, with Carter, like, was were you a Dave Matthews fan at any point in time? Were you a Carter Beaufort fan? Yeah. Did I mean, you fight was, with your friends that it was Buford or Beaufort? Uh, no, that never that never that came up. I think we all just said Beaufort. I guess I went to high school with a kid named Bo, and he spelled it like Beaufort. Okay. So we just called him Bo. It just worked. But it was definitely the first record um, because when that came out, I was I was kind of like a bipolar drummer like i was a hardcore punk uh grunge indie rock guy but on my own time i was listening to dennis chambers and dave weckel and vinnie Cayuta. so for me carter was like here's this sort of alternative band like they're they're the singer's kind of weird and it's definitely right. alternative music yep but the drummer is playing all my favorite stuff from dennis chambers like he brought yeah. he brought that world of just virtuosic fusion drumming to alternative rock per se mm-hmm and it was just for me. It was like, yes, there it is. Finally, I don't have to, I don't have to just play dopey rock beats. I can try to get some of my Dennis Chambers stuff in these, you know, these Red Hot Chili Peppers wannabe songs that my band right. was writing. Uh, so for me, it was just like a an arrival of the music that I was already obsessed with. And I know it, at one point, because I think Carter and Dennis are probably pretty close to the same age. Okay. Uh, but there was a one point when I remember reading where someone asked Dennis Chambers if he listened, like, was he influenced by Carter Beaufort? Like, you, you, <laughs> you really sound like Carter Beaufort. Do you listen to Dave Matthews Van? And you can, oh. you can predict a response to that question. Yes. But, but it was just it was just cool to see someone just ripping with, you know, unashamed, I'm just going to rip the drums. Yeah, and, and, and to see, I mean, obviously, like I said, I got to see it in concert, but... You know, the Dave Matthews Band, they were proud that they could play. So you were seeing more live footage from them than than MTV videos. They yeah. wanted you to see them play. It's like, dude, I, I feel like they didn't even value their albums anywhere near as much as they did their touring because they wanted to stretch. These guys are musicians. Yeah. Um, the recorded version was the safe take. You know, they wanted to be like, okay, this intro is 11 minutes long. We're going <laughs> yeah. in. But one thing that I loved, and I noticed it from the very first time I saw him, and every time I've you know seen a video of them since, Dave was always turning around, loving that stuff from Carter. He yeah. wasn't trying to. He wasn't doing the sting thing where he's trying to shut Stewart down. <laughs> yeah. He was like, "Dude, go, go, more double bass, more double, yeah, more, 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 <laughs> go." And I mean, man, I, I learned every note of what would you say. Uh, I remember learning uh, ants marching. You know, it's like, wait, oh, yeah. I get to use Herta's in a song? 
You know, at the uh, the end of the live version where he's going, bah, bah, uh, yeah, uh, right, uh, right, uh, uh. and they're just vamping over it. Oh my goodness! I was like, <laughs> finally, everything I've ever practiced that my band is like, never do that. Yeah, I finally have an outlet. So now Carter, there was there was a point for me, and when I got to college and I became a jazz snob, and that was when like all the you know the young. It was when the Dave Matthews Band became huge. Like I, right. I was kind of listening to them when it was the first and second record. They had some hits, but it wasn't like they were just everywhere right so when i got to college it was like some of the guys a few years younger than me were were so into the dave matthews band and doing all the diddly diddles and they had their timbales and their jam blocks and their stuff it became a thing and they were everyone was trying to do the the broken up hi-hat thing like they couldn't play a straight groove on the hi-hat anymore everything had to be this broken linear thing so i did go through a couple years of like i hate that i hate that style stop doing it I think what happens is now if if Carter and Dave Matthews never became famous, it would it would be Steve Gadd. It would always be cool. It would yeah. always be timeless. The problem is it became too big and, and we couldn't get away from it. Yeah, um, exactly. It same thing happened with Danny Carey and Tool, and I'm like, dude, I'm done. I, I can't I can't yeah. take these ripped off versions of it anymore. But honestly, I guarantee you right now, with all of our education, all of our snobbery, if you and I went and stood side stage for a Dave Matthews concert, we would lose our minds over <clears throat> Carter. Yeah, because no, yeah. when he does it, it's the it's amazing, right? I mean, he's still it's just incredible. Um, so, and I'm with you. I got to the same thing too. I was like, I will never have a tambourine on my kid again. Yeah. Well, um, it just it became distasteful. Like guys were just abusing totally. it, and it didn't it didn't relate the way. I mean, it, it for Dave Matthews Band is designed as a feature for Carter. You can't just <laughs> well, that's a, do that on your acoustic gig and start playing all these diddly. People bits. were dumping it into the wrong places. Yeah, yeah. And, and not having the control. Like the reason he can do it is diddly because. Bits. <laughs> The diddly oh, diddles, yeah. Uh, I mean, the, I think the reason that he is—it's kind of like Elvin Jones, you know, like he, and and Vinny and Weckle, these kind of iconic signature players. We end up emulating the easy stuff and not right. digging into the really the real artistry. Like Carter, oh. Carter's touch and his timing are flawless, so he could. I think he could play anything and it'll sound great. And it's the same with Vinny, and it's the same with with Elvin's a different thing, but. Just that when these guys are very stylized, and then we just grab the easy parts without right. thinking about the depth that goes behind it all. That's where it's dangerous, and that's it's very what, similar what to a Frank Caliendo impersonation. It's like okay, that's not the only thing that Charles Barkley says. He doesn't mm-hmm. just go terrible all the time. There's more to it, but he, but to impersonate somebody, you grab the easy, low hanging fruit. Well, yeah. drumming's the same thing, man. It's yeah. like okay, Vinnie Paul, I'm going to do double bass. I mean that's it. I'm Ross. just and it's like yeah, well we'll he's pretty freaking yeah. good. You should listen to a couple of Pantera records, you know. <laughs> yeah. um, so and I think the same thing happened with Carter. My my thing is this: without trying to look up the charts and stuff, try to play Satellite by Dave Matthews Band. That is it's so six, weird. So it's weird. crazy. Yeah. Um, and it, but it's beautiful. Yeah. And that's that's always been a magic thing to me. How do you get the average non-musician to enjoy the groove and enjoy just the feel of the song while the drum nerd gets to freak out over it? Yeah, exactly. Vinny did it with Sting. Uh, Steve Gadd's done it with tons of people. Um, but it's not an easy thing to do. You and, know? The and, part, and the parts are written in a way that, like, if you take the drums out of that song, it, it's kind of just a boring song. But totally. his part is so... You can't cover that song without... I mean, you can cover it and it's going to sound bad if you don't really know how to do it. Right. And I think that's also part of the beauty of what he does. It's it's 
it's it's like I mean the the music is kind of written around him in a way, which gives him a platform to be so expressive. And I also kind of think of him like Carlton Barrett with with Bob Marley. It's just this magical stuff that you can't transcribe and you can't figure out. It's always kind of changing in little tiny subtle ways, and right. very rarely does he lock into a, a repeated pattern. Or if it does repeat, it's not in an obvious way. Right. Uh, that's what I love about it. Both those guys playing, especially Carter. It's like. You feel like he's just jamming, and that's the dangerous side because as right. a drummer, we get oh yeah, you just jam on linear stuff. No, he's he's got a pattern, no. but it might repeat no. every eight bars or something. Right, he knows what he's doing. And the other thing is, and I would love to <clears throat> talk to him about this someday. Is I don't think he could have picked better tones for that musical situation, drumming and cymbal wise. And it's everything that I never would have picked on my own. But yeah. it's like, I mean, really. I can't imagine an artist that sold more A-Customs for Zildjian than Carter Beaufort. <laughs> right. I mean, that yeah. was just it. It was like, oh, so beautiful. And and the just how tight clear snare. it was. I mean, super that, tight snare. That was what shocked me on that first record. I was like, dang, that snare drum is tight. <laughs> yep. <laughs> what is he doing to that thing? And, and and we were still in 12s and 13s for first rack toms there. Yeah. And he kind of brought us back to Stuart Copeland a little bit. Like, oh, I guess you can just crank up a 10 and it's amazing. Or an 8. I think an he eight. had an 8 on his kit. Yeah, yeah. And I also love that we all know, or we all knew at the time, he's a Yamaha artist. And I was like, they haven't made that recording custom for a while. Like, he <laughs> yeah. always played the same kit. And I'm, I'm, I'm sitting there going, you must be able to get free Phoenix kits and free, <laughs> you know, Maple Custom Absolutes. But he's still rocking that, that old recording custom, and it sounds incredible. Oh, yeah, he's um, got one of the new ones now. He finally changed over to when they revived it. <laughs> There's probably like mold growing in that other one, man. I think, but he just, he just, I don't know. I, I'm a huge fan. I love that he smiles when he plays. I love that, like, everything about watching Carter, I think that that's what gets people to play drums in the first place. They see somebody have yeah. the time of their lives playing cool stuff with people they love, and they go, I want to do that. I yep. mean, that's that's how it should be. So Yeah, um, I, I love that when they show backstage footage of the band hanging out, they're still geeking out on the music. You know, they're like yeah. listening to rehearsals and listening to the show and like and get you know, getting off on each other's you, know, you did that last night and listen to that Phil and here's the here's the mixes for the next record and like yeah, let's do that thing. I mean it's I think it's awesome. What are you laughing at? <laughs> What are you, you laughing can't at? say they're just backstage getting off on each other. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so up for review this week we have um, some gorgeous Sabian Artisan Elite symbols. Okay, uh, anyways, uh, if you want to check out Carboford, I'm going to give you I'm going to give you my favorite 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 Carboford track, and it is called Seven. Um, Check out Carter Beaufort on the track seven. What record is that? Do you know? Uh, it's like Big Whiskey Mountaintop uh, Jamboree. <laughs> <laughs> is that right? Uh, that can't be right. <laughs> seven by David. Uh, let's see. Okay, it's off of Big Whiskey and the Gru Grux King. Oh, yeah, right. Dude, that song is so killer because Dave sings the choruses in seven four while the band stays in seven eight so dave's singing this quarter it's like the reverse of the uh of the vinnie caliuta thing dave is singing the quarter note pulse the band stays in seven eight and then every two bars of seven eight is one bar of seven four they match up on the one and it's mm-hmm. just man i love this song but it's uh just to give you guys a roadmap intros in four four 
Verses and choruses are in 7-8. Bridge is in 5-8. One bar of 6-8 coming out of the bridge, back into 7, and the outro is in 4-4. Four, four. All right. There's Just your roadmap. Like that. <laughs> <laughs> like that. <laughs> All right. So Sabian Artisan Elite. Uh, so I'm watching the video, or I watched the video this morning. This isn't you. Yeah. No, it is. Is it? I'm pretty sure if I sent you the right video. Are you? What kid is it? Like a? It's you're in a studio. That's my With studio. A, no, it's not. Yeah, it is. You have hardwood floors. Yeah, I I got rid Did of. Did you the get red, some lighting? I got what? rid of the red uh, Oriental rug and and put ah, down the RLX. What what fan. kit is this? That is my MCD uh, Maple kit. That's uh, gorgeous, 12, man. 14, 20. I think if that's what I sent you. It's an overhead shot, right? Overhead shot, uh, yep. black lacquer. Yep, that's it. Black, uh, oh, that's black great, wrap. Man. That's a black wrap. Oh, black wrap. Okay, yeah. it's great, man. I, I loved it. Um, so yeah, let's not talk about the symbols. Let's just talk about your drum set. Sounds <laughs> fantastic. Yeah, that's weird. I, I didn't think that was you. Um, it, it, yeah. I guess now that I'm looking at it, that is your kneecap. <laughs> um, that's all I can see from that's the right shot. That's that I wear every day. <laughs> so, uh, so what were you, you were revert? Heard of her? You were reviewing a few different sizes. What are these? Yeah, the Artisan Elite series that they debuted at NAMM. So this review is in. We're kind of in between issues, so we're kind of finishing up the April issue. But some of you will be getting the May issue this week. Uh, so it's it's one of the reviews in the May issue. The Artisan Elite. So what they did was, because Artisan is their their high-end symbol line, so they added some extra models to that, which are incorporating some of the more traditional Turkish uh, manufacturing methods that they experimented with, with the Crescent line and the uh, the Vanguard series that came out and, and the big and uglies that was kind of one of their their experiments in that. So yep. they they took some of that and incorporated it into these artisan elites. So there's you know there's a bit of raw metal kind of interspersed on the on the the top. I think the bottom is completely laid, but the top has uh, little bits of raw metal. Um, so they sent four, the series only includes fourteen and sixteen inch hi hats and twenty and twenty two inch rides. And that's it. There's no more to it. Wow, which is cool. So they're 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 definitely going for the guys who want jazzy sounds, more kind of classic old Turkish jazzy sounds. They sound great. I mean, uh, you know, we'll listen to them in a second. But one thing that I noticed right away is they sound, and I mean this is a huge compliment because I've always wondered how can you do this to a symbol. But they sound like they have one piece of gaff tape on the bottom side of them yep and i I love that sound i love that sound where you hit it and and you think it's going to explode and right when it reaches its peak the decay just happens immediately yeah um and i mean yeah there's a couple symbols on my kit right now where sometimes i want them to be big and open and washy but then sometimes i do put a piece of gaff tape on them but they those artisans kind of sounded like that really cool symbols and it was it's true to form in the recording that's exactly what they did yeah when i crashed the 20 it gives you a nice big explosive crash and then it's gone like it doesn't it doesn't linger which is cool which kind of fun it did make them a little like you know, like I wouldn't want to use them if I had to really wail on a on a symbol for like a crash ride thing. Cause right, it, it just it's not, it's what not they meant do. for that. It's more for a softer playing styles, recording jazz guys who want to just kind of keep everything under control. But it doesn't yeah. feel dead. It doesn't have any dead spots or anything like that. So no, they, they're um, so. Uh, <clears throat> you want to give them a listen? Yeah. So we're going. I mean, it's a 
I'll just pull an excerpt. So there, you'll hear the 14-inch hi-hats and the two rides, um, and then I'll edit in the 16-inch hi-hats. All right, let's check them out. So, so yeah, hi hats. The fourteens to me were kind of like a perfect all-purpose hi hat. Um, yes, they definitely are still kind of dry, which I liked. But they were they really impressed me. So what what did you like the best out of the out of the four? I um, well the I think the twenty inch crash was my favorite only because that's something right now where I've moved my twenty inch crash over to my left so it's over my rack tom and i'm starting to i'm starting to ride on it a lot more okay much more delicate well the problem is the one that i moved over there i'm stuck in between i want it to be a crash but when it's a crash it's it's not it doesn't have enough stick definition to really Mm -hmm. get in that ding 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 yeah uh so so yeah so when i heard that crash was like oh that's kind of it that's that's why Uh i put gaff tape on the bottom of my crash um Uh So, yeah, I, I loved that 20. I, I loved both sets of hi-hats. I think that the 16s were actually way more um, articulate than I thought they'd be. Yeah. They sounded great. I, I mean, because I, I max out at 15s. I have the 15 prototypes. I have the 15 dual hats, 15 extra dries. And so 16 to me is that like, oh, well, you have to kind of loosen your foot up a little bit and you only play slow notes. But those sounded great with all your rolls and everything. Yeah. Yeah. They kind of have a little bit more chunk to them than using but two yeah, crashes. The, like you said, the 14s <clears throat> were definitely like, cool. You've got your hats. You're done. You know, yeah. as long as you're not trying to cut through a heavy rock situation, those would be perfect for yep. almost anything. Exactly. Um, and I, I like the fact, too. I mean, honestly, I'm just saying this as a minor artist and a drum fan. Sabian to me was at least for the last decade or so up until maybe two or three years ago, they just weren't to me a character company. They were like a nice, like professional level vanilla. It's like, cool. Sounds like symbols. Those are great. And I'm not trying to dog them out. I'm being very, very open and honest here. But what I like about that artisan series is that has a grip load of character. That's what I would expect out of somebody like Agop or, you Mm -hmm. know, or or crescent um yep. and obviously that makes a lot of sense now but those yep. have like some serious serious character to them i, I wouldn't do. if yeah. you if you only sent me audio sabian would not be the 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 one that i would go oh those are sabians yeah. i've been like oh that must be some off turkish brand because there's yeah. so much character yeah, yeah i'd I like i agree and I, I had the same i had the same kind of 
preconceived notions about Steve, and I think they just sound they have a sound. They always just have yeah, a sound. They sound and, good. And these still, I mean, they sound complex, but they still have that kind of like focused Sabian clean thing. So it's it's not going full on dark, trashy Turkish thing. Right. It still yeah. has that kind of like down the middle ride cymbal sound with just some extra bits that are really cool. Honestly, I could just see a lot of Sabian artists being really happy right now. I could see yeah. them being like, thank you. I've been waiting for this for a while. Yeah. And uh, you just locked me in for another five years. Yeah. Well, I know, <laughs> you know? Our, uh, our boy Matt Chamberlain is using them. Near Z is okay. using them. So I've seen there pictures of them popping up in the I'm studio. sure Mark's probably got one or two on his yep. kit. He demoed um, them at NAMM. He was the guy who yeah. demoed them. So that, and he really likes the 22. <laughs> Well, yeah. that was like his his thing. I wonder I'm going to go back and look at some footage when we do when we did the camp in uh, Ireland <clears throat> with Ash. I know he had some some prototypes of stuff that he was like had in his bag that he was checking out for them. So I would assume one of them was probably that 22 inch ride. So yeah, um, cool. that's awesome. All righty, well there you go. And I closed out my. Uh, is it listener question time? <laughs> <laughs> I closed out my rundown. I'm like, what do we do yeah, now? Yeah, let's get questions. <laughs> Dude, I'm on fire today. All right, Holy let's get hell. into it. This one comes from Adam, and he, he sent this a couple times. Sorry for the delay. I think it's it's a pretty important question for him. Um, he says he, um, I'm trying to get the most out of my 2009-ish Gretsch Catalina Maple kit. Um, I found over time a lot of issues that need to be addressed, um, and he's, and the kit is hard for him to tune. So he okay. swapped out the triple flange hoops for some S hoops. Um, some of the lug screws had come loose, so he tightened those down. Um, but he's still having an issue with getting them to tune. Um, so he's his question is, um, apparently the bearing edges are not completely flat or smooth. So his question okay. is, would you guys bother trying to mess with the bearing edges to rehab these drums to get them more tunable? Hmm, man. I don't know. I think at there is a point, and I've dealt with this with with quite a few students. Um, you, people have to understand that companies make different level of kits, and just because it has your main company's name, like a Pearl Export is not a Pearl reference series. Yeah. But sometimes people go, "Well, I have a Pearl," and it's like, "Eh, kind of." And unfortunately, <clears throat> the Catalina that kind of falls into that thing. It's like, well, I have a Gretsch. It's like, you do, but you don't have a USA Custom. So that's what happens when the drum set is five or $600. It's not going to be perfect all the time. Um, So, yeah, I mean, if you just love the kit, I mean, honestly, I would assume that, and and maybe you know this, or maybe we could reach out to, um, uh, what's the guy from RBH Drums? Bruce. Um, Bruce. But I would assume recutting bearing edges must be similar to the cost of a Catalina if you did the whole kit. Yeah, um, that would be the question. Is Do you know someone who could do it for cheap enough? There's, I think there's some guys who will do it for like 25 bucks a drum. So then okay. well, that's 100, not bad. $100 to make your for drums tunable would would be worth it in my mind. Yeah. And, I, and it, it can't hurt, especially if you know the bearing edges are, are janky. Right. I don't think it could hurt. But like you said, it's not a high-end kit, which means the maple is not high-end maple. Right. It's always going to sound a little thin by comparison to like a, a professional high-end kit. So if that's what you're looking for, I think you ultimately just have to save up and, and upgrade. But yeah. if you just want to make these a little bit better, if you can get it, someone to do it for 100 bucks or less, then I would say it can't hurt. It absolutely right. can't hurt. But and I, I, would say I this, wouldn't invest oh, like three, 400 bucks to upgrade No, that kit. no. Um, also, to... 
I have friends that are Gretsch artists that have the Catalina and, and gig with it. The Catalina can be disguised as a high-end kit in bop tuning. When you crank it up that much, mm. it's really hard to tell the difference between until you're recording it between the USA and the Catalina. The problem is when you use it as a small drum set, when you try to get those fat tones, that's where you find out that it's a five to $700 drum set. Yeah. Um, at least in my opinion, because um, I've seen my my good jazz buddies play a Catalina, and I'm like, I, I really can't tell the difference between that. But it's cranked, bop yeah. cranked. Yeah. Um, so so anyway, so yeah, so I would say it, it also depends on your tuning. Yeah. So for that next. helps. Next one comes from Dan. <clears throat> um, so he, he says, I've heard you both talk about sometimes hearing a drum part groove or fill that you just can't work out and wouldn't want to for fear of ruining its magic. Mm-hmm. So could you both give an example of that type of thing? Um, that would be awesome, he says. Sure. Um, let's see. Okay. Uh, early on, I learned um, I learned the groove to Fool in the Rain, the shuffle, mm-hmm. and I didn't learn the B section groove. Oh, okay. It was magic to me. And I just, I don't know, the the, the shuffle just seemed so tangible and seemed so like, I'll use that tomorrow. And then the B section groove, it's so funny. I can hear it in my head, and I honestly, I don't know what it is. I mean, you talk about it when just, it goes to the ride with like the corner ding, ding. triplets. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's all it is, right? I think so, yeah. And but like, it's like my drummer is weird. My drummer brain knows that, but I've never, ever sat down and tried to play that. Um, <laughs> I just love that part. So that, that would be one example from my past when I was younger. What about you? For me, it's still the Keith Carlock lick where he's. He's just creating these waves of rolls that I okay, and he's starting with the bass drum, so I can never hear right. where where the one is, and I feel like he's right. he's always blurring the line, but then always lands on the one. So that's the one for me. Like when I hear him kind of jamming and, and he goes into that stuff, I'm like, oh, I don't know where one is. I have no idea. He's going to give it right. to me. Oh, that's not where I thought it was. <laughs> like every <laughs> single time. Yeah, man. So that's the thing, and I have tried to practice it and. It doesn't feel right. It doesn't feel like something that that should be part of my vocabulary. So I'm just going to leave it. Yeah. You know, that's Keith's thing. That it sounds like the drums are getting chopped up with a you know with right, a blender. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's like what is he doing? Yeah, so man. that's definitely one that I'm like, nope. I'm going to hands off on that thing. That's not that's mine. So funny. I'm going to leave it magical. That's Keith's gig. <laughs> yeah, I think too. There, it, it comes down to what have you had to l- learn? What are the things you had to learn in your past? Because you, like I would have easily learned Fool in the Rain note for note if it was in a cover gig that I had to do. Yeah, I wouldn't right. just not do it. Um, but yeah, there's uh, I've never committed to learning 50 Ways to Leave Your Lover the way that Gad plays it because there was a lesson inside there which the big lesson to me was, wait a minute, I can use my left foot in mm. a groove? And so I, I, I got what I needed out of it, but it was like, eh, I kind of want to leave Gad doing it, man. I don't really need yeah. to do that one, you know? <laughs> Um, I'll do my version of it, but I don't want to do that. So, all right, next. Okay, so let's do one more. We've got. Um, it kind of relates to what we talked about last week with the essential styles for everyone to learn. This comes from Jason. He says, "I practice many hours every day, and this past year or so, I've been shedding a lot of Latin stuff. I studied with Chuck Silverman in college, and I can play uh, all of the stuff from Jimmy Branley's book. And he's working wow. on syncopation variations and soloing over the clave." and so on but i'm not playing it with people yeah so is practicing something you cannot put into context futile and i think it goes right back to our discussion of polyrhythms and and the answer is no practicing anything is not futile 
in my Agreed. opinion. It's just Agreed. It's just opening up your I mean, you're just learning so much about music. I mean, what's 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 the harm, I think? And if it's, no, you're passionate I, about it, I mean, why not? And I, I think it just comes down to being realistic. You can't expect it to feel the way it's supposed to feel until you fellowshiped with it and right. you've put it into practice. So I can play uh, – I'm pretty sure right now I can play the entire Art of Bop Drumming by John Riley. That doesn't mean I can play jazz. <laughs> yeah, right. You know, And it doesn't mean that any of those exercises feel like Elvin is playing them. It's just that I can play the notes in the succession that that John wrote them. Um, so, but at the same time, being realistic means that when I sit in in a jazz jam and it doesn't go that well, I'm not really bummed because yeah. jazz isn't about me playing John Riley's exercises. It's the fact that I didn't fellowship with the music, you know. And yeah. then when I sit in and totally screw around playing a rock song and it feels amazing, it's like, well, yeah, I grew up doing this. This is, yeah. I have, I, I know, you know, I've done every study you can do in this. So um, I think it comes down, first of all, that's badass that you can do that. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Jimmy Branley's book is no joke. I've been through all of Chuck's books, all the practical applications books. Um, but And they give you a great place. If anything, you're just getting amazing independence. Yeah, um, that's what I chalk musical it up independence. To. Yeah, it's yeah. An, more anything. It's if you're building your coordination with that stuff because I know that Jimmy's Jimmy stuff is sophisticated. So <laughs> yeah. you're learning coordination that's just going to make your your pocket gigs feel so much more comfortable. Agreed. I don't see I don't see any any issue ever with overtraining as long as you're again you have a musical mind of saying okay I'm not going to throw in that stuff just because I practiced it. That's yeah. I don't think that you would ever do that. So I would say no. keep on rolling, man. Keep on Blink going. Blink-182, you're getting a song go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you have to put it in the right spot. <laughs> All right, we cool, have a man. whole lot more, but we're running out of time, so we should probably move on to Picks of the Week. All right, my pick of the week this time is uh, something that probably a lot of you have seen online being demoed by Mr. Benny Greb, and that is the Minel Cymbal Tuners. And I'm not picking it because I'm a Minel artist. I'm picking it because I got them yesterday. And I did not put them on my cymbals. I use them on Meinl's new cowbell. Mm. And you don't need two of them on a cowbell because they're magnetic. And the cowbell is just straight up, uh, I guess, uh, steel. And yeah. it, so it just sticks to it. And uh, I've always wrapped my cowbells with a bit of gaff tape. But the problem is once you wrap them with gaff tape, that's where the gaff tape lives. Mm. With the Minel cymbal tuners, I started at the very edge and just started moving deeper and deeper into the cowbell until I got the tone I wanted. So, uh, sorry, Minel, they are cowbell tuners, not cymbal <laughs> tuners. And they so, are, what and are they? Can you describe what they are? They're literally magnets. That's all they are. With, with any a Minel kind of, logo, they have felt on them or anything? A little bit enough that yeah, it's definitely not scratching your cymbal or anything like that, or scratching the cowbell. Um, when you get them, there's one light set and one heavy set. For the cymbals, you do have to use two, one on the top and the one on the bottom. But uh, And they work great. Um, I, I mean, I put it on the bell of my crash, and it did what it's supposed to do. Um, put it on the edge, and, and it's dang near the low-volume Zildjian cymbals. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you can shut the cymbal down with these <laughs> things. But for me, it was just about getting that cowbell tuned just right because – you put them in the wrong spot, and it actually amplifies some of the overtones, and it goes like, Tung, oh yeah, you know. And then if you too far out on the edge, and it's just dead. And there, it's and it, I mean, it's bringing the volume down a little bit too. So, but just to be able to move this little piece around the cowbell until it was like that's the dream cowbell. That's what I've always wanted. Um, mm. I'm really excited to actually bring a cowbell back into the mix of my my setup. So, where do they come in? Do they come in a plastic container? Yep. Um, 
So this is the actual. Um, okay, it's like a pill packaging. box, sort of. Yep, and then yeah, and then it comes with exactly comes with yeah. that. Um, so you get two sets. I don't know how much they are, but um, but yeah. So it says heavy symbol dampening and light symbol dampening. Okay. So, yeah, I'm always yeah. worried about putting magnets in my pocket next to my cell phone and like just wiping it out. <laughs> so yeah. as long as they come in some sort of insulated case. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I can imagine all of my ATMs not working. My cell phone <laughs> blows up, and I'm just uh, sterile. <laughs> but you got a, you've got a well-tuned cow. <laughs> I can't have children, but my cowbell sounds great. No, I, I think they're just fine. Um, but yeah, they do. <laughs> they do have. A, oh, uh, just just cancel. backstage getting off with my friends. <laughs> cancel this show. Can we cancel this show? <laughs> All right. You know we're making somebody's day better, right? We have to be. Good stuff. All uh, right. My pick of the week is a video. Uh, the Progressive Arts Society, they published this in December, but I'm just now seeing it. They posted a 17-minute clip of Jojo Mayer's clinic from PASIC this past fall. Okay, and they, did they put it on their site or on YouTube? It's on their YouTube channel. Okay. So if you just YouTube Jojo Mayer PASIC 16 with no space between PASIC and 16, you'll get it. It's had 173,000 views. Jeez. Um, 48 thumbs down. I mean, come on, people. 48 people just thumbs down one of the greatest Un- of all time unreal so what it is is his clinic was not like an exhibition it was it was a pretty deep lesson on how to become an artist on the drum set okay so he um he talks about the paradiddle and and how the there's a melody built into that paradiddle and kind of the whole premise was like instead of exploring a hundred million ideas take one idea like a right left kick and explore all the music that lives within that via via accents, via orchestration, subdivisions. So it's a it's a, a really nice. I mean, it's a little um, scattered, so it's kind of hard to to draw the line with just getting this one excerpt out of an hour long clinic, right? But if you can just watch it a few times, you'll start to see what he's talking about, and he's you know just the the demo on how he plays right left kick in a musical way is is worth the the price of admission. Nice. He's just taking I, that one idea and moving it around the toms and the snare in a really cool way and then accenting different parts of it to create melodies within that. He's 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 next level. So that's He is for sure. That was one of the best clinics that I think might have went over a lot of people's heads because it was the last clinic of the of PASIC and it was you know, the end of the day and everyone, I think just expected him to just go off for an hour and just right. rip. And he came out and talked for like 15 minutes and before he even played a note. Wow. So I think it kind of threw people a little off. Like, man, is he, what's he doing? Is he going to do the molar? Or what's he going to do here? Right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I can't. Yeah. As soon as we get off the line, uh, I just, uh, downloaded it. So I will, it's um, good. It's a good one. Add it. He's the man to my file. Uh, tip for everybody, guys, Put a, a folder on your desktop and just call it inspiration and just put videos in there. I mean, I, I'm not going to tell you how, but it's not that hard to find a plugin for your browser that'll allow you to download YouTube videos and Vimeo videos and Facebook videos. And I just, every time I see something, whether it be somebody teaching or maybe it's, maybe it's an, uh, a TED talk or something or it's just a little drum excerpt. I mean, I've got videos from Nate Smith in there. I've got mm. videos from everybody and and I just put them in my inspiration folder and then every morning I, I wake up get to work open up my folder and I just click on one of the videos and it just kind of sets my mood for the day nice 
So Jojo Mayer Pasic 16 is in there. And I'm Boom. seeing it in the sidebar, uh, there's also someone had uploaded the Steve Jordan live stream at Memphis Drum Shop. So oh, just you saying, go. you might want to check that one out too. Eh, you might want to just dig into that thing. So, uh, awesome. All right, everybody. Well, that is our podcast for this week. If you can, just go to iTunes or Podcast One or wherever you listen to this and give us a favorable rating. We would really appreciate it. And the written reviews are awesome because we really do check those things out. So we will be back. Uh, well, for you guys, we'll be back next week. But Mr. Dawson, I will see you in two days. That's right. And we will try to... And I, I'm going to try to live a full life for the next two days so I have something to talk to you about. <laughs> I'm going, going skydiving. All right, buddy. All right, see you have next a good time. week, man. <laughs>